Get ready for a no BS approach to health and fitness. This is NBS Fitness Radio. All right, welcome back to NBS Fitness Radio. We are here with uh, Kevin Leathers of Can't Stop Endurance. Uh, Kevin, introduce yourself. Kind of tell us um, your background, your story, and uh, kind of how you got into endurance training. Uh, well, I'm thrilled to be here. I love this topic. This is my uh, area of passion. So uh, this this will be fun. Um, I've been a runner since high school. I was um, uh, that freshman who had played all the sports and didn't went to a new school, didn't know anybody. And a friend said, well, come out and come run cross country. Okay. Okay. I, sure. Let's go. And immediately felt like I'd found my thing. I mean, it was almost overnight. I was like, oh, this is, this is really cool. So ran cross country, ran track the next year. And now 40 something years later, I'm still, it's still my thing. And uh, so over the years I, I got started in high school, uh, I was a decent high school miler, um, uh, mediocre on some stages, but loved it, uh, enjoyed it. Got to college, started adding triathlon to it because I got bored with the running and triathlon was a new sport yeah. in the mid-80s and on a bike, started swimming and trying that next test of self, which is what I've learned over the years is kind of what I crave is that test of self. Yeah. And then that evolved into, you know, when I was younger, it was how fast can I run? How fast can I run this mile? How fast can I run this 5K, this 10K? Then it was the half marathon. And then, then it became, can I run a marathon? Okay, let's train for that. And then it became, well, how fast can I run a marathon? And then can I qualify for the Boston Marathon? And it just evolved. And then it was triathlon was, can I complete, can I do this swim, bike and run? Then can I do an Olympic distance? And then of course the Holy Grail was, can I do an Ironman triathlon? And so it just kept layering in those personal challenges. Sure, there was some, some competitiveness to it in my age group. I was a decent competitive local age grouper, yeah. but it was much more the test of self. Did I, if I give my best today, mentally and physically, and I win my age group, great. That's just the cherry on top. If I give my best and I either come in eighth in my age group, man, those other seven guys were clearly on their game better than me. And I just, that's the best I could do. Yeah. What, where the regret comes from is you win your age group off a of mediocre performance or off of a poor performance. And it's so hollow. Yeah. Right. So there, all of those, all of those things, mindset things. And, and all along that was, so all that started back before the internet, yeah. if you, you probably can't imagine it was uh, so I started having friends hearing that I was doing marathons and they would call me and say, Hey, can you write me up a training plan for how you did your marathon? So I'd write it up on a yellow legal pad and put it in the mail with a stamp on it and send it to them. And then we got fax machines and I would fax them that training plan. And, and then lo and behold, whenever email came out, you would start emailing those plans back and forth. So that kind of began the, the, uh, the, the coaching on the side. It was basically sharing workouts with my friends and what worked and what didn't work. And that evolved into coaching a little more formally. And, and I got uh, asked by an old friend to help him start a charity running team for a charity, which he was on the board of. And it all happened. I was like, sure, I'll do it. Thinking he's never going to get these slots for the New York city marathon. <laughs> Lo and behold, 
calls me back a year later and says, Hey, we've got 20 slots for New York and you're the coach. Let's go. So (laughs) I had to formalize the uh, coaching thing. And so I got certified and I got insured and I had to think up a name. So I'll give you that quick story. I'm sitting there at my desk and this is, this is almost 20 years ago. Like I got a call that actually it was my blog. I needed to name my blog back when blogs were new and hip. And one of my favorite bands was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And one of my favorite running songs was Can't Stop. Yeah. Can't Stop, Addicted to the Shindig. Yeah. It's like more than just a read through. Yeah. Those lines always stuck with me. It's like, that's it. Can't Stop Endurance. So started Can't Stop Endurance and it just grew from there. We started, we took these charity teams to New York and Chicago marathons. And that led to me helping uh, grow the local St. Jude Heroes program there in Memphis as the as they took over the St. Jude Memphis Marathon, we got that started, kind of a grassroots team there. And that grew into, uh, I was the national coach for the St. Jude Heroes, helping coach 25,000 runners a year around the country who were raising money for St. Jude. And, wow, okay. And then coaching individuals one-on-one. We got local training groups. And it just went from there. And it was all so easy. I was doing it as I started as a side gig. Uh, like she can't make a living being a running coach back then. And, uh, and then it evolved into a full-time thing. And now it's my, I was, I was, I'm fortunate enough to do the thing that's my passion. And it feels like it's, it's, it's such light lifting to do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool. So now here we are 40 something years later as a runner and 20 plus years as a coach. And uh, I've, I've, done all those things from one mile to a hundred mile trail race in the mountains, triathlon to Ironman and everything in between. And it was always about my puzzle. Yeah. Like, how do I feel for this long event? How do I get faster for that event? What's the mental mindset I need to be able to run through the night? Well, now I get to work with others and their puzzle. We dump your puzzle out and go, okay, now let's see how David's wired. What, how much work can he do? How much recovery does he need? What what buttons does he need to be pushed? Because I can lead him to water, but he's going to have to drink it. And I got to figure out how to make him drink the water, right? So right. Uh, in a nutshell, that's how we get here to. Okay, that's awesome. To today. That, a, lot of that, so it's, it's, a lot of that resonates with me because like similar things, I, I started uh, MBS Fitness as a blog, which eventually turned into a gym. Um my uh i call it the um give a mouse a cookie effect uh for like powerlifting, which is like if you squat 300 pounds you want to see if you can squat 350 and then 400 and this just kind of like continues to go from there and my background's more kind of the strength training and powerlifting side of things um and it's interesting that to, to, uh, to hear like all these similarities between uh same thing you're gonna do what i'm passionate about and love to do and, and take my experience as a coach and then apply it to people who are trying to uh, to reach, reach their goals as well. Um, so I was like, Oh, like you're here and you're saying, I'm like, that resonates 100%. <laughs> oh, and, and you know, it's funny. We could dig into these coaching stories and the, uh, methods, the mindset, the errors, the ego getting in the way, the, uh, FOMO issues getting in the way. I guarantee you they're the same Oh yeah, when, like, issues that we both deal with, with our athletes. And it, it's the same struggle. It's uh, super interesting how they're all What's wired. She- it's Pretty human psychology just playing out in two different, you know, realms of fitness, but it's the same That's human psychology either way. What, where did you probably, seen the, you've probably seen the cartoon. There's the runner talking to the CrossFit guy. He says, why did you CrossFit? That's weird. 
and then it says we're all weird, right? We're all weird. We all got our thing. And yeah. yeah. So there's the, a healthy mutual respect when you understand that, right? So uh, <laughs> I, I vividly remember like walking into the gym one day in my like early 20s and I had a bag with, I'm sure I had like a lifting belt and some gloves and some straps and like all this stuff. And then like, um, there was like a road cyclist who like had it on his gear. And I like was talking to someone. I was like, I was like, what? I was like, what? Look at what he's wearing. I was like, like, that goofy like suit. And he's got all this bag. Like the person just looked at me. was like, bro, have you, have you looked at yourself lately? We've all got a uniform, right? We've all got that uniform and it looks weird to everybody else. That's so funny. Yeah. He's like, he's so like, true. he's like, have you looked at what you were wearing? <laughs> so we're, we're, um, where were you from originally? And where did you, was, where were you when you started doing your running? Yeah, I was born and raised in Memphis. Okay. Uh, moved all around town mm. as Memphians did in the 60s and 70s and ended up in Germantown as uh, for high school. Okay, and very cool. Went away, went away to Texas to school, went back to Tennessee and basically uh, a few moves up to St. Louis, but majority of my life was in Memphis. So I've considered myself a, a Memphian and um, have just relocated to Dallas, uh, right about a year ago. Okay. Very cool. Awesome. Um, talk to me about kind of like some of the, the, the differences and similarities in your training for the shorter distances, doing the miles, doing the five Ks, and then how the changes you make as you get into these kind of ultra distances of a hundred miles plus or, and, or for like, um, obviously like Ironman triathlon distances yeah. as well. Oh, that's, 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 that's interesting. To, so there are some basic core uh, for racing strategy principles yeah. that, that are true, whether you're racing 800 meters on the track or a hundred miles in the Rocky mountains. And the, the things that are similar are patience early in the race so for a miler on the track, what's easy in lap one is going to be excruciating in lap four. So you have to remember that it's supposed to be pretty easy cruise control level effort in lap one and parts of lap two. In a 5K, it's the same thing. That's where I see it over and over. And I still step in that trap door is first mile is the fastest because it feels so easy. You're amped up. You're, ramped up everybody's going out too fast uh so what's what's excruciating at the end needs to be easy in the first third and once a runner learns that it's the key to progress at all distances um when they learn to let everybody go out too fast and be patient i know exactly what shape i'm in because i i've i've seen all the data my coach has told me you're in shape to run for easy math, seven minutes per mile for this 5K. So go out from the first 100 yards on seven-minute pace to keep your heart rate where we need it to be, and then hold pace through the middle third and then empty the tank in the last third. Now we can, we can take that all the way up to the marathon, and it's the same exact speech of super patient. You need to be a robot for the first 15 to 16 miles. Yeah. If, if we've done your training properly, it should be fairly – a fairly cruise control effort. If it's hard before then, you've done something wrong. And then you start to get ready for the brutal in the marathon. The last third is really the last six miles. Yeah. Uh, and that goes all the way to a hundred mile ultra patience early focus in the middle, 
run with guts and grit at the end. Uh, what's different is in, in in 5K season, which if on the calendar, first of the year, we're getting ready for those spring and summer 5Ks, it's you're, we've spent the winter building this aerobic base. The bigger we can get your aerobic engine, the better you're going to race at all distances. So it's nice, long, easy miles. Yeah. Then we get into that uh, 5K focus and it's all we start adding speed work and hill repeats and running faster than goal race pace in little short intervals. Yeah. Right? Um, and then adding the longer tempo runs to get you that. And then it, that's the same model. It's just that speed work and those tempo runs get longer, the longer the goal race is. And then okay. we spend that last little bit getting you super familiar with what your goal race pace is. So that's a lot of inner pace clock, uh, getting you comfortable being uncomfortable. That's a huge key to the end of those races. And uh, I'm rambling now. Did I, did I answer your question? No, no, that, that was good. And so it, it brings up another topic that I, that I think is interesting. You're talking about like utilizing all that data. I was going to ask how uh, training has adapted over the last 40 years now that we have access to all this different data because you didn't used to have gps watches or heart rate monitors and all that kind of stuff so how were you like how were you moder- uh, um, monitoring pace and everything back then how has training uh, changed over the last 40 years oh that's that's interesting so we have all the data and all the feedback and i think some of it is a burden i think a lot of it is a burden yeah uh I want all the metrics back from my athletes because I want to analyze it and see what's happening. I don't want them uh-huh. over. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, when we started, we had a little black plastic Casio watch mm-hmm. that started and stopped. Yeah. It was a stopwatch. Yeah. And you ran what you thought was three miles or four miles. And if you wanted to verify it, you borrowed your dad's car and you went and drove the route. <laughs> you know, and then you then you had a three mile route, and you knew that it was about three miles. That's awesome. Okay. Then it evolved into uh, I remember the first polar heart rate monitors that came out in the late eighties, and that yes. was like wow, we were like NASA astronauts with this heart rate <laughs> monitor strapped to our wrist. Now there was no GPS involved; it was just stopwatch and heart rate monitor, and you could hit the lap button. So now, okay, now we're getting some data and some feedback. What do we do with it? I don't know. You go well, you go by the book and you learn your heart rate zones and that was that was useful it really kept you it didn't at that point young full of spirit and youth you you, there was no problem getting people to run fast enough on the hard days it was the heart rate monitor really helped me monitor easy enough on the easy days for recovery because that's where most people screw it up yeah and then you add in gps and okay that's now i know exactly how far i ran and what my pace was and now let's put cadence in there, steps per minute, and let's put heart rate in there. And I can really analyze what went well, what went poorly, and and do a post-mortem on a workout or a race and find the weak spots and start working on those things. So it's it's really opened up the world of, um, of, of measurable, quantifiable feedback that helps me further adapt your plan and my own plan when I'm doing mine, my stuff. But it's also... People get wrapped up in the data. And now the worst thing is you add in the social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so-and-so and, uh, did it this fast. Yeah. So, yeah, the data has has come a long, long way. And for the most part, it's been – it's it's really useful. But I still teach people uh, 
heart rate zones, but more so pace by feel. I want you to, we'll measure your VO2 max pace with a time trial and then set all your paces off of that number. And then we'll monitor your heart rate and those zones always overlay perfectly. Okay. Uh, so I want you to, to not be so buried in what your watch is telling you on the run as to listen to your respiration, feel your heartbeat, listen to your footsteps. You know, when you're getting sloppy and tired and fatigued. And um, so we use the, we use the feedback from the data, but I want you to feel the effort and feel the output and the fatigue. Yeah. You're trying to take that kind of objective data and then, learn to sync it up subjectively to like how you feel so that when you're in the race, you're not, you know, constantly sitting there checking your watch or your phone or, and, and letting that kind of get in your head as well. Um, that's awesome. Okay. Um, what about kind of like technique stuff? How do, how do y'all do, uh, technique analysis, you know, over, over the, um, virtually, or, you know, when you're not in the same city or what, whatnot. Well, we started a, I went through some uh, uh, for running form clinics 15 years ago. I yeah. went through a couple of different, and there were, there were a couple, there's a couple, two big predominant form schools. Yeah. And I did both of them. I learned a lot and it really helped me clean up my biomechanics and smooth out my own natural tendencies. So I was a little bit more efficient, which allowed me to run a little more injury free. Yeah. Which allowed me to be more consistent, which then eventually allows you to be faster. So um, then I looked into getting certified, but it was at the time it was super expensive. I had to fly somewhere and I'm going to try to take what I learned and put together my own little clinic. Yeah. I guess almost 10 years ago, I started teaching this form clinic and tweaked it along the way. Now it's been, it's one of my favorite clinics that I teach as the running form clinic, because People walk in and think we're going to totally revamp their form. Like, no, no, no. Everybody's, we're all built the same and locomote the same, but biomechanically, I can spot you from a mile away because the way you carry your arms and your, you know, you can spot people, but let's smooth that out. So much like teaching somebody a deadlift or a clean, there are very specific form cues that we teach them. So we'll put people through that clinic and we'll give them a couple of things to run through in their head, right. Um, to try to clean them. So we'll do those in person. We, we love our community partners, a gym, a physical therapist. We've done them with the local running stores where they'll hold, they'll host the clinic. We'll go in and teach it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We've put at this point, uh, we're, we've passed a thousand. We put a thousand runners through that clinic over the last eight to 10 years. And I've got uh, two other coaches uh, at Can't Stop Endurance, and they both can teach the clinic. So very cool. We've got covered in Memphis. I'm starting to teach it here in Dallas, and it's. I love talking to lifters, power lifters, because it's it's the same exact mindset. You can walk into the gym and do deadlifts wrong all day. Oh yeah, and get hurt. And when you try to add weight and resistance, you're not going to be able to do it. Same thing with running. You can walk, you can go out and run poorly all day and you're going to get hurt over and over and over again. If we just make a few tweaks, it's going to be easier and you're going to get further than you you can get. Yeah. I always kind of say like technique allows for the highest performance and with the lowest risk of injury, you know, thousand percent. and, uh, it's, it's funny. Um, 
being experts and coaches and people who, who do it all day, every day and, and have all those hours and have the visual and can just see it like, bam, um, you know how important it is, but some people are like, I know how to do it. I got to run. I've been running for however many years, you know? And then you kind of bring them in. You're just like, yeah, try this. And there's just like mind blown. The same thing with kind of running. I love that clinic because there's usually some point in the clinic and I always tell them this is a 90 minute clinic. Just, just indulge me for the first 45 minutes. It's going to be awkward. And then there's a, usually a light bulb moment. It's usually when we put cadence in there because they're plodding along with these slow yeah. steps or it's the way they're carrying their, and then the light bulb goes off and they go, Oh my gosh, I've been doing this wrong all along. Yeah. And that's always a gratifying moment of, okay, here's, that's a gift. I've given somebody gave that to me. Now I've given it to somebody else and they're going to go be a better runner. And that's, that's really the, the cool. I get goosebumps thinking that's the real gratifying part of being a coach, right? Is giving that to somebody else and they go do it. And, yeah. yeah. And once you see, like, see the look on their face and you're like, Oh, oh man, this is, this is a game changer. Um, <laughs> and like, uh, for us, you know, like if you're in the gym, you see people use bad technique like all the time. And then likewise, if you go out to any park or the green line or you anywhere, watch some people running, just like, Whoa, man, like you are just putting yourself through some misery. You don't have to with that technique. In that movie, I know how it ends. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna, that's gonna, that's gonna be painful after a while. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, the importance of, of, of strength training, weight training applied to uh, endurance training. And then we'll talk about like endurance training, the importance of that applied to weight training. Yeah, that's, that's, this is a really interesting, this is something I can go deep on the ways I'm going to try to. Okay. So I grew up uh, in high school. I went to a, an old suburban high school that was football and baseball and yep. track team runners, distance runners. We were not welcome in the weight room. So we didn't lift weight. I just wasn't, it never even thought about it really. I, it just wasn't a thing. And then you get to college and you start lifting weights. And I've always been a member of a gym and lifted, yep. but it was exactly what, you know, you could finish the paragraph for me. I'd go in and do some curls, maybe some bench press, all the weight machines. Oh yeah. The hamstring curl, all the things. And it was all the periphery stuff, right? All mm -hmm. the stuff that in thought we were strong. But then I spend 35 years of my adult life going straight ahead, mm -hmm. running, swimming, biking. And I was pretty, str uh, pretty strong. I can, I can go all day a long way and on the leg press machine, or I could do, but ask me to take a sidestep or ask me to jump up on the box or bend down and pick something up. And I looked and felt like a 90 year old man. Yeah. So the, I came to that discovery in the last 10 years, really the last five years, I went for a, uh, I was having all the, I've, it's an old, I'm playing a broken record, all these lower back and SI joint and hip and uh, getting out of the car. You'd hear me moaning from, you know, 300 yards away. And um, so I started, listening more to clay jones at 901 pt and sarah michael right they, yeah. and started talking about functional movement and functional strength and uh, my friend drew graham at excel wellness about um mobility and they put me through a couple of assessments i remember sarah michael asked me to do a couple of things and she was love her to death and and i'll give her credit for her professionalism but i know inside she was going 
Oh my God. <laughs> Upper thoracic with cement. Yeah. Anyway, so I say all that to say the source of my back pain and the reason I couldn't touch my tendons was ankle mobility and upper thoracic mobility. Yeah. Oh, wow. Once we started working that. So I have become a believer in mobility. Mobility, I think, is the key to a functional, vibrant life until the day you're done. Yeah. I think that being able to get up off the floor, get out of your car, get up out of a chair. So I've personally started adding that functional strength over the last three or four years. And I went and got a coach because I needed somebody, an expert to tell me, I thought I knew where I'm going in. somebody to say, no, 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 that was terrible. Let's do it again. Let's, let's learn. Let's break this down. And it, so I've come a long way. If you saw my squat two years ago, it's, ooh, now I've still got a thousand miles to go, but it's better. And I feel better. My running feels stronger. I'm less achy. Uh, my hips and uh, lower back get less fatigue in long runs. So now I'm a believer and I preach it to all of our runners. I, I've always preached to our runners. You need to do something else besides run. Yeah. That's our passion. And that's what you're paying me for. That's where I make my living, but you'll be able to be a better runner. If you're stronger, more mobile, if you can do a burpee, if you can do crunches and planks and push-ups and air squats and yeah. all those things, you don't have to go buy a gym membership until you do, but here, here's a, here's a home hit workout you can do in 10 minutes and it's going to start you down that path. So I'm, I'm going to be totally upfront with you here. 10 years ago, I heard the word CrossFit and I thought, man, those guys are nuts, bro. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, shirts are off. They're maxing out. They're trying to win the workout. All the stereotypes, the same stereotypes that go with every, cyclists and runners yep. and triathletes and bowlers and golfers and and then I started learning, well, it's all about the gym and it's all about the coach. Yeah. And it's all while. And then once I started going to a gym, it was the community. What's the atmosphere? Oh, this atmosphere is supportive. I thought I was going to go in and they're going to laugh my weird runner's body out of the gym, but everybody was supportive. Yeah. And without fault, people would come up and go, hang in there, man. I was you. I was right there a year or five years ago. Keep, keep coming. And so I think, uh, my runners who won't embrace it <clears throat> suffer. Yeah. They're not, they don't recover as well. They don't, they're not as durable and they're constantly having to start over. We make three or four or five or eight months of progress in their running build. And then they get an issue yeah. and they have to take time off and they go to rehab. And what does the physical therapist at rehab give them? What does Dr. Sarah Michael, what does Dr. Clay Jones give them? You need to start doing air squats. You need to start getting the ankle mobility. It's, yeah. oh, yeah, it's so basic and I was blind to it for years and now here we are. And I'm sure that's, you know, <laughs> being like being someone who's, who's in really good endurance shape and has, has, you know, spent their whole life doing all these races and building up their body. And then you go into like your first CrossFit workout, get your ass kicked. You're like, what in the hell? Like <laughs> I, I, the same thing happened to me. I, I had a background in, in powerlifting, uh, was very strong. Went into my first uh, CrossFit workout. Was the last one to finish and had a bunch of fifty-year-olds like clapping for me. I was like, "Stop patronizing me!" <laughs> well, I think there's, I think there's great value in testing yourself on a regular basis, and there's also great value in getting your tail humbled yeah. on a regular basis. And I have, I there's no place I get more humbled on a, a regular basis than going into the gym and 
exposing myself, right? If there's running involved in the workout of the day or the AMRAP, man, I'm king of the hill. Yeah. We need more 400 meter repeats in this workout. <laughs> but as soon as I have to stop and pick something up, the great equalizer, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm scaling the, the women's RX, which yeah. I have no shame in that, right? I've, I'm proud when I get close to the women's RX, which doesn't happen very often, but yeah, I think it's good for you. Yeah. One thing, um, one thing I like about CrossFit, uh, and I I think it's helped a lot with is it has exposed people to all these different areas of fitness capacity. Whereas, I mean, really up until this time, most fitness training plans or developments were always like, you, know, you did bodybuilding or you did running or you did cycling or you did Olympic lifting. It was just very uh, singular capacity focus. You focus on strength, you focus on, um, on power, endurance, whatever it would be, mobility, flexibility. You just did yoga and CrossFit kind of uh, said, uh, to have, you know, maximum human health and fitness, like you kind of need all of these things. And so it exposed people to all that um, and it, it's a great, um, it, it's a great kind of a, um, call like gateway drug, you know, yep. it's like, if you start that, the chances that you may explore and go, man, I think I want to go try and do a, a half marathon, you know, or I think I want to do a powerlifting meet, or I think I want to do Olympic lifting meet. It exposes you. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. kind of like exposes you to that and, and opens up your, your, um, your world of fitness opportunities. And I, I'm a big believer as a coach, you know, we all, as a coach, you have accountability because of what you call, what your name is on the shirt. Yeah. You better walk the walk. And this is an area where I've really started to preach. So I better walk the walk. And I got to get out there and be vulnerable and learn this stuff. And I, I was in the gym a couple of weeks ago and I was really struggling with some overhead, you know, the getting the bar overhead. And I, it's really a struggle for me because of mobility issues and fear of the bar being over my head. And, the burliest coach in the gym, his testosterone just jumps off of him. <laughs> he came over to me and very quietly, he was like, dude, when I call you old man, I mean it as a compliment, but you don't ever need to try to max out anything in here again. Let's find the weight that you can do properly all day, and that's going to help you reach your goals. Do you want to win the workout? I was like, no. He goes, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a stronger, more durable runner for the next 30 years. He said, let's stop. Don't try to keep up with these kids. Let's do you Yeah. perform properly. And that was like a, that was my light bulb moment in that. Just like, oh, okay. I need to, I need to quit looking around at what's on everybody else's bar Yeah. and, and be me run the mile. I'm in. Yeah. Oh, okay. Stupid. Yeah. There you go. It's amazing how like all those different, um, you know, um, coaching, um, applications apply to other areas of life, <laughs> you know? Oh my God. Here we go, Dave, down that road of, uh, I'm, I'm really big on daily habits. Now that's my mantra that I've, I, every Friday email that goes out to our athletes, I'm, there's some version of set the big goal. Let's make the roadmap to the big goal, but then let's forget about it and focus on the daily habits that will get you there. And that's, Right. That's everything. That's not yeah. just running just in the gym. It's work and relationships and savings account and yeah. career. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's all. And I think discipline and focus in one area bleeds into other areas. 
laziness and procrastination in one area bleeds into other areas. So I think you're sharpening the sword or you're dulling the sword yeah, across the, I, I, and that's, I think. 100%. I mean, like we, we've talked with uh, people in, in here in the past and just, um, just talk about like the fact that, that they've done something hard that day where like every single other person that they engage with at work or wherever, like hasn't done anything hard. And so that, that, that tends to kind of blow everything else in their life up, you know? And, uh, there was a good quote by Jim Weller that was, um, once the only thing you care about is getting more oxygen into your body, life tends to kind of fall into perspective. You know, when you're on the ground going like, I just, I got to catch my breath. You know, you're not worried about this or that or that or that. And the fact that you like, man, I did something hard. I'm better today for it. I got through it. I survived. You kind of go out through the rest of, of your day having confidence. You're less like, like um, less likely to snap at people. You just kind of, it just, it carries over. It does. And you can, when you talk to someone or engage with someone who is into fitness and does this and you engage with someone who's not, you can just tell that difference like very clearly. The way they handle everything, right? The way you handle mm. one thing so you handle everything. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that because you hear, you know, I'm, I'm a big podcast fan and here we are. Yeah. And I'll listen to former Navy SEALs or somebody who survived a horrific accident or cancer. And that's the extreme of that, of yeah. your only thought is surviving that moment, that day, that week, getting to the next month on the calendar. Now let's scale it all the way back to what I, in relation to that, I, what we do is pretty insignificant, but it's the same muscle and mindset of when I'm deep in that workout, and all I'm trying to do is jump back up on that box one more time as my heart rate's maxed or finish this 5K race when I can't see straight in the last 400 yards. I'm not thinking about that conference call coming up on Monday or the mortgage or cutting the grass or I'm in that zone trying to survive my own little mini trauma. And I think that is so good for you. If you're not struggling, you're not, you're not ready for the real struggles when they come along. I think it, yeah. it just fortifies sharpening the sword right? every day. I, I love that. And I, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, that's 100%. Um, the, uh, so um, let's talk a little bit about mindset uh, some more. I'm going to tell you kind of um, a, a little bit of my background and a little story and then kind of how like I've noticed uh, a change in mindset from doing endurance stuff. So like I played college football, um, did powerlifting, did bodybuilding. Um, I did, I did like some endurance races, but, uh, just some, um, like, uh, tough mutters and stuff like that. Um, but then kind of like stuck with powerlifting for like the longest period of time. I got up to 285 pounds, like was completely focused on that. I was very much like, oh, running is stupid. Um, then because of my lack of mobility, I was, I was got taken out cause I was having joint pain and all these issues that started arising from like only focusing on strength. Um, and so it was kind of like had a epiphany moment. I was just like, man, David, you used to be a college athlete and uh, athlete and hey, just fat, <laughs> you're fat and you're strong, but that, but that's about it. Um, so I started in CrossFit through that, um, there was a tough mutter coming up and someone was like, Hey Dave, let's do a tough mutter. I was like, yeah, totally. Let's do the half, the half tough mutter. And 
and uh, I would like to do that. And they were like, no, no, if we're going to do it, we're going to do the whole thing. I was like, I haven't run one mile in 10 years, much less 10 miles. But uh, they talked me, like, I'm bad at peer pressure. So someone's like, yeah, if, if, if someone's like, oh, dad, come on, don't be, don't do a, be a wimp. I was like, ah, you're fine. So I started training and doing all that stuff for that. Did that. And then someone's like, well, you know, it's only an extra three miles to run a half marathon you might as well just keep training and do a half. And I was like, uh, like you don't understand how much against the grain this is for my former self. <laughs> so anyways, did that. But one thing I noticed, um, there was, there was a change for me was like for powerlifting. It is very physically and mentally intense, but it's, it's intense in like the shortest period of time. It's maximum intent, intense intensity, like putting 800 pounds in your back, psyching yourself up, you know, like just getting yourself in this crazy mental state, uh, is a, is a necessity, but it only lasts, you know, five seconds. Whereas in running or any type of endurance uh, stuff, it's just this low level, just pain or boredom or whatever that just continues like forever and that was to me like i was like man like i thought i was mentally tough but i was only mentally tough in this one little instance and like having to find this new mental toughness to kind of just go you just can't you can you can go a little bit longer just a little bit longer and a little bit longer um so i like to kind of hear your thoughts on kind of the mental uh, aspect of endurance training and, and any like uh, stories you might have of a time where, where like you you're kind of maxing out your your mental toughness or you find yourself like where you really had to dig deep to kind of get through something oh boy yeah this is yeah this is like this is a good topic uh because i think as a endurance coach and you you as, as a, a lifting coach it's the same thing it's a lot of our job in our profession is amateur psychologists yeah <laughs> You, here's the math. Here's what I want you to run, but here's how it should feel. And here's what your brain is going to tell you when it feels like that. And you have to talk back and ignore it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a hard thing to teach people, especially those who haven't grown up in that environment or experienced those things. Many can, right. People are pretty tough and resilient anyway. Yeah. So that's interesting because your mindset, I think like an Olympic sprinter, their race is nine and a half seconds yeah. and they train for four, eight, 12 years. And they put it all on the line for nine seconds. To me, that seems like unbelievable pressure and focus. That, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Give me all day, right? Give me, give me all day to do it. So anyway, so what I like to talk about is, and I've used this analogy as a, um, a power lifter or a football player running out of the tunnel at the beginning of the game. And it's, you are spitting and breathing fire in that moment because yeah. you better be. Yeah. It's about to get nasty, right? If we do that in running, we are done in the first third of that race that we talked about when we started this. Yeah. So it's a, it's a relaxed focus. Yeah. You have to find your sweet spot. You have to be able to disassociate a little bit from what's going on. You're aware of your surroundings and your fueling needs and your pace, but you're able to just zone out. You're not, you can't think every step. Okay. Left, right, left, right. Stand up straight. Yeah. Level. Don't bend over. What's my pace. It's you check yourself every, okay. I'm standing up straight. My hips are level. My cadence is good. I can, I can hear my respiration. That's about where it should be. And then you disassociate. 
Yeah. You, you go back to whatever. You better be comfortable in your own head. Yep. Right? Learn to be comfortable in your own head. Um, so that's kind of the state. And then I think there's a, there's a, you can do so much more than you think you can. Yeah. Right. You can go when you think you're done, you're not even close. There's something else there. If you can just keep moving, we talk about these ultras, you know, there's aid stations every eight miles, 10 miles where you come in and they refill your water bottle. And, and it, the, the mantra is just get to the next aid station. Yeah. Whatever you have to do. We're not thinking about the whole, we're not thinking about the finish line, get what you need and get to the next aid station. And I think that again, that goes back to the life analogy, right? It, keep moving one foot in front of the other. All we're doing today is just get to the next aid station. So I think I've got some, some really triumphant stories and some really brutal stories. I think the ones that when you asked me that question, the couple that come to mind were the, the first time I qualified for Boston, the Boston marathon, it, it's, it's age group graded. So uh, for a 40 year old male, you have to run this time. Yeah in the marathon, a qualifying marathon to get into the Boston marathon. So I'd been working on it for years and chasing that number for years and trying to figure out training and fueling and put it all together one year at the St. Jude Memphis marathon. And I had, I can remember that day. Like it was yesterday, people I saw things they said, but then there's a point in the race where it got fuzzy. Mm It's about three miles to go. I was, my hamstrings wanted to cramp. My feet felt like there were tacks in my shoes and but i looked down at my watch and i was still on pace I w- i'd come this far yeah. years of training 23 miles into the race and only had three miles to go and i was still on pace okay you can do this for three more miles you can do this for 22 more minutes just and then zone out and just eye on the prize right just one foot in front of the other a few minutes later lower back starts to grab and oh come on just hold it together dude you're at you got two miles to go. And, and it was a, it was the, that mindset was you've come this far. Don't screw it up. Now you're going, if, if you screw it up now, the pain of regret will be every day as you fall asleep, you'll think about that. day you gave up with yeah. 15 minutes left yep. to your goal. And that drove me. And I have vivid recollection of coming down Madison, turning into AutoZone park with hamstrings were just waiting to cramp and I was tingling, but I couldn't feel the ground. Yeah. It was that my body just went into overdrive and I qualified and it was glory. It was, it was, uh, first time I'd qualified for Boston, hit my goal, executed a race plan and overcame those mental demons that were screaming at every alarm bell went off for the last 45 minutes of that race to slow down. What year was that? Oh gosh, that's been 15 years ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, every alarm bell and you have to ignore it and just keep going. Yeah. Right? You just keep going. So that, that was a good one. And then, uh, and then the other one that is, uh, uh, it's an entire episode on its own was when I went and did the Leadville trail, 100 miler in Leadville, Colorado. So the race starts at 10,000 feet and goes up and down from there for a hundred miles through the yes. Rockies. And I trained, I was ready. It was, I, I committed myself to that. That was, that was the end of my, uh, okay, I'm not going to get any faster in the marathon. Now let's see how far I can go. Yeah. So I worked on that for several years and, and committed myself to ultra running. And that day I experienced every emotion, every thought over the course of that 30 hours. Um, 
and there were moments, there's, there's a, a place on the race called Hope Pass, and you go over it twice. It's out near the turnaround, so it's at 45 and 55 miles, and it is, uh, you go from around 10,000 feet to almost 13,000 feet in two miles. So it's, it is straight up and everybody's hiking it. Nobody's running it. Yeah. There were times on that mountain. I'll go back to that, what you said earlier. I would hike as fast as I could and it would be 45 minutes per mile. Yeah. Hiking as fast. And I would literally have to stop and, and gather myself to just to all I wanted is oxygen. Just breathe. Just and I, I have a vivid recollection of looking around and you're up there above tree line. It looks like the moon. Yeah. Thinking a moment of levity. It was like, oh, if I die right here, there's nowhere for the chopper to land to, to lift me out of here. Right. So let's get off the mountain at least. Yeah. Uh, so overcame that. I had to go down to the turnaround, refuel, and then come right back up over it and experience the same thing, if not worse. Yeah. And coming back up over it, now that we started at 4 a.m. that morning, now the sun's setting and I'm coming back down that mountain in the dark and I've got 40 miles to go. And you get to the aid station and your crew takes care of your feet and feet and gives you food. And now this break lasts four minutes. It's not, there's no napping. There's no break time. It's like an indie pit car. Yeah, yeah. Indie, indie. Uh, so now you're going through the dark and there are cutoff times. And you have to make it to this mile marker by this time or they pull you because they know there's no way you can make it. Yeah. The full thing. So we're running and, and I hear it, it. Once it gets dark, you can have a pacer who basically is your brain. They tell you when to eat, when to just don't get lost, make this right turn on the trail. And I heard my pacer talking to another pacer and they were talking about cutoff times. And it's like, Hey, are we, are we worried about cutoff times? And he's like, well, do you want the truth? I said, yeah, he goes, we were pushing the cutoff back at that aid station. Mm. Right. So if you, we need to get going. So I had this burst of me and we take off and it ended up the next few hours are really good. Yeah. Gets cold overnight. We come off the mountain into the valley for a couple of miles before we climb again. And the temperature had dropped, you know, summer in the Rockies is beautiful, but nighttime it gets chilly quickly. Yeah. And I got cold, didn't dress properly. So it was a gear mistake. Oh. And hypothermic at mile 72 Oof. frozen on the road can't move oh, and my pacer's like uh, uh crew comes running out from the aid station with a blanket and they're like all right let's and i stood there thinking okay my i could take you to that spot on that road in the mountains and say this is right where it happened now i'm done this is how it's going to end this sucks i do not want to tell this story when we get back to memphis so they somehow revived me put me by the heater gave me some chicken broth rubbing my shoulders and within uh, again, I don't know if it was five minutes or 20 minutes. Um, Marshall Ulrich, who's an ultra running legend. He's like, are you going to do this or not? It's like, yeah, he picked me up by my basically the lapels and says, let's go. And yeah. then I, next thing I know we're moving down the road in the middle of the night and we're chasing cutoffs. Cause we left that aid station with like five minutes to go yeah. and 25 miles to go. So we're running. Now the sun's coming up on Sunday morning. And I've got 15 miles to go and my pacers whipped me like a, a rented mule. And I remember the last four or five miles, he's behind me saying, you're going to be the, I was the last person they let leave the final aid station. Uh. 
and I'm doing every I, I can I'm a slobbering mess. I can barely see. I'm in tunnel vision. I'm not thinking about anything but literally the next step and listen to my hand. He's like, okay, you're gonna be the last person to, if you break 30 hours, you get this big shiny belt buckle. That's what all the ultra runners chase. Yeah. You're gonna be the last person to get a buckle this year or the first guy to miss it. Give me everything you got. I said, I am. So I get emotional talking about it. So I'm running and I, I well, I say I'm running. I'm running a little bit. I'm walking a lot. I'm running a little bit. We get into town. We're coming back into the little town. And uh, the old miner who runs the race, he shoots a shotgun at 10 a.m. for the 30-hour mark. Yeah. Come up over this ridge as you come into this little western town. And I can see the finish line. It's, it's a, not a half mile away. All the people, there's a red carpet to the finish line, and I hear the shotgun. Oh, man. <sighs> yeah, that's So I keep going. I'm going to finish the thing. Yeah. And I finished and missed the cutoff by five minutes. Oh, man. That is heartbreaking to me. <laughs> so the two bonks on hope pass and hypothermic in the road which was a gear mistake yeah easily cost me an hour yeah and i missed a couple of five minutes so talk about replaying that oh, day man. over and over and over again but what i learned was i was pretty tough and pretty resilient and you know we all have that baggage and those old coaches and people who said you can't do that you can't yeah. do that well, i did it yeah yeah right i did I, I showed myself, uh, I, when I thought I was dead on hope pass, you know, I had 50 miles left in me yeah. When I thought I was hypothermic and maybe going to go to the hospital with 25 miles to go. Now I went 25 more miles. Yeah. So they put the, they, you get a finisher's medal, but you don't get the buckle. The guy shoots the shotgun and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold blooded, but it, those are the rules. Yeah. There was no, I, I understood. Yeah. But so looking back, it was the most, it was the most triumphant moment in my running career, my endurance career and high on my life list. Yeah. And also the most crushing and heartbreaking, um, felt I'd let, let everybody down, the crew, my family, the yeah. people back home follow me. But now that it's sunk in a little bit, that was, that was pretty awesome. All the lessons I learned yeah. and all the lessons I was able to take and teach I've now coached other runners who have gone and gotten their buckles. That's awesome. And gone more buckles. And uh uh yeah, that was that was a that was a a wrenching, but that took to come full circle. That ultra mindset is a life mindset of I can't think about all 100 miles. Yeah. I can't think about getting running this next hour or so to that next aid station, refuel, readjust, and get out, get, you know, they say, get out of the aid station, go, don't stand here. The clock's running just like in life. The clock's running, keep moving. Um, so that was a, that was one of those empowering moments that affected me that I love to give to somebody else. So she's somebody, I don't know if I can do that. And then they yeah. go do it. And you see the light bulbs go on. So. And also I can imagine like, as you come into that aid station, like, especially towards the end of the race, you're like, man, I could just, I could just sit here and be warm and enjoy this food. I could take a nap. And it's like, if you allow yourself to get comfortable, you're not going to finish the race. <clears throat> you know, you're not going to get the glory at the end. 
if you just allow yourself to get complacent and comfortable, like you have to be, you can, I say you can, you can take a break. You can yep. take a little break, you know, like you need a little break. You can't just run a hundred without any breaks. Right. But at some point you're going to have to get up and get uncomfortable again. Yeah, there was, there was, um, it, it, it was, I, and I tell the people I coach when they go do these ultras, you have to stand at the starting line and the only result is to finish or they take you out in an ambulance. There anything less than that. And you're going to, you're going to let, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to quit when it gets hard. Yeah. And I've now, now I've been out there to crew that race a half dozen times in other ultras and to see it up close and to see it play out and know where that runner, I'm sitting there face to face with him in the aid station at mile 80 and they are crushed. Yeah. There's no talk of anything, but okay, here's that. Here's that. Eat this. Now let's go. Here we go. High five. Off you go. Get out. That's the only option. And I remember my year at Leadville, I never once thought somebody just give me a ride back to town. Never entered my mind. Um, when I was hypothermic on the road, I thought, man, and I had my crew saying, don't, don't walk into this place looking like that. Cause medical will pull you from the race. Yeah. That was on my head was, man, I don't want it to end in the medical tent. So yeah. you cannot give your, you can't even crack that door open. You can't say the words and you really don't need to think the words, quit, drop out. Yeah. Day, I keep moving, get going. Um, how do you feel for that? Like, like, um, yeah. I mean, what's your nutrition like on a 100 mile race, especially at 30 hour with all, with all those, uh, all that terrain and, um, and elevation shift. Yeah. Fueling for an ultra, they, they jokingly call it an eating contest. How long can you fuel? Right. Cause they're, so you, in your training, you come up with a fueling plan. So, uh, I'll lay mine out because that'll be easy to explain. So I was really good with energy gels. Okay. No problem with them. So I had a schedule of an energy gel every 45 to 60 minutes okay. all day. Yeah. 60 minutes. Yep. Um, and drinking a, I had a special energy drink in my bottle, which was carbs some protein and some electrolytes, yeah. a bottle of that per hour. And that was the, that was the, the framework for the day. Cause I knew that would give me the, hourly calories to do what I needed to do. But then you're coming into these aid stations every 90 minutes to two hours. So if you think about what you eat in a 30 hour period, now think about you're moving for all those 30 hours. You had to eat. Right. Those first few aid stations, you want to front load that fueling. I'm not hungry yet, but yeah, eat this turkey sandwich, eat this uh, peanut butter on a waffle, eat this thing because you don't know what your stomach's going to do. Yeah. Once you've been out there all day and all night. So what you don't want to do is wait until you think you need it because you can't play catch up. So the goo, the energy gel, the electrolytes, lots of you're hydrating all day and then eating every aid station that you can, because at some point, so for me, <laughs> you can do the math and figure out how many gels I'm taking one every 45 minutes for 17 hours. I got to the point where it was, it was good until it wasn't. And I took that gel and it came right back up in a rainbow of, of <laughs> and I said, well, that's it for the gel. We got to go to something else. Yeah. And we, we, I practiced it in training, right? You're kind of a, you're kind of a, a convenience store junkie on some of those long runs. Let's go grab an oatmeal cream pie, go grab a, uh, 
cheeseburger, go grab a piece of pizza and dump it in your stomach and see what it does. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, do you just like try different foods and see if you can run with them without puking? <laughs> because those, you know, the type who got there, uh, if I had been so rigid that I had said, well, I'm doing gels for the whole race. And well, when it went sideways, uh Oh yeah. What do I do? I have, I, I don't know what to do, but no, I had trained that. And we always tell our people take peanut butter and jelly with you, take crackers, take candy, take whatever your, because when it gets that late in the race, your stomach doesn't want to digest anything. Yeah. All the blood is elsewhere. Yeah. And you're not thinking clearly. So for me, a lot of those ultras, whether it's a 50 mile or a hundred, those last hours were fueled by chicken broth mm. or, and I don't drink, I haven't had a soft drink in 15 years, but Flat Coke, because yeah. that sugar, you go quick burning right into your system. Yeah. And your body will absorb it. Um, a cookie, maybe, but nothing too complex after that. So it's really a, uh, you better be able to adapt because at some point your stomach's going to say, you know what? I'm done. Stop putting food in me. I remember hearing a story about, <laughs> it was like a, an ultra guy ordering a pizza and having like the, the pizza delivery do like meet him on the road, grabbing the pizza, eating the pizza while running and be like, wow. <laughs> That's, that's awesome. How long does it take your body to recover from like a hundred miler? That's a good, so recovering from a marathon is more the, the beating that your body takes on a road marathon at race pace. That takes a couple of weeks to get your joints feeling better and your feet from a 50 K, a 50 miler takes you about two weeks to kind of feel better. When I did that 100 mile ultra, I clearly went deep. Yeah into my reserves, mentally, physically, everything. And it took me physically weeks to be able to run again and probably six weeks of that deep, deep fatigue to finally go away. I was, these people who do multiple ultras in a month, I I was not wired that way. I was, you know, after you had a long day and you've done it, you've been up all day and the contacts are worn out by the time dinner time, all you want, if you sit down, you're going to fall asleep. I felt like that for six weeks. And uh, are you doing any type of recovery? Um, are you doing anything to kind of like speed up the recovery? Yeah, I'm a I'm a big believer and advocate for active recovery. So yeah. I was walking, mm-hmm. or I'm a cyclist too. So I was on I was walking, or I was on my bike doing some active recovery almost every day. Gotcha. I'm I'm much better off doing something but on those easy days or off days than doing nothing gotcha. keeps everything keeps the blood flowing yeah you do uh, you do, everything in sight okay yeah i was like i imagine just like refueling like crazy um yeah. I, I do do any you know like normatec hot cold yeah. any that kind of stuff but post race if you can get your hands on some normatec boots yes i never had any mm-hmm. i know um i know some people who do and i would get in those, but I'm a big believer in the ice bath. Yeah. That's old school after anything over like a long training run, that was going to be longer than three hours. I'd come home. I'd stop at the convenience store on the way home, get two bags of ice, put them in the tub and soak for 10 minutes. Okay. That notice that the next day better than just about anything. Uh, So I'm a big believer in that. Um, When I've had access to a sauna, I really like that for recovery and I'd get in there and do my stretching and that kind of stuff with that deep heat. Yeah. Never had the opportunity just because I didn't have the facility to do the hot cold, but I think there's a lot to be said for that. And people will argue all of that, but anecdotally, it works. 
Uh, I don't understand all the science behind it, but I know it was really, really good for my joints and muscle recovery. Yeah. The ice. I tell people, I was like, I don't care if it's uh if it's placebo or not, I just want the effect. <laughs> like it made me feel now, good. I want it. I'll feel good. The red clown nose will make me feel better the next day. I'll put on the red clown nose. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. How did you get into um, into Ironmans uh, or sorry triathlons, and then eventually doing like an Ironman tri- triathlon? And and what were some of your experiences there? I uh, I started doing triathlons in college. It was the new sport back then. Ironman triathlon had just started, and we started. We didn't read about it on the internet. We read about it in Triathlete Magazine, right? Um, and I just loved it. It was that next thing. I started cycling with some college buddies, and I really liked that. I swam out of necessity to get ready for the triathlon. So yeah. it just became another test. Uh, can I get to be a competent enough swimmer to be able to get out of the water and then take advantage of my strengths, which were the bike and the run? Yeah. Then you, I, when I moved back to Memphis, um, started training with people and I got in with a group and they were the strongest triathletes in town. Some of the strongest triathletes in the Southeast. And one of the guys was actually a professional triathlete and he had some success on the world stage. And they invited me to come ride with them one day. And it was an eye opener. It's like, Oh, these guys are doing something different than the rest of us (laughs) are doing. They trained. So on the hard days, it was, you were cross-eyed and couldn't see straight. And that was the light bulb moment of, oh, okay. So I started training with them as hanging on to them as long as I could until I got dropped and it made me stronger. Right. Keep showing up, keep getting punched in the the face, keep showing up, keep getting punched in the face. And eventually you get to be able, you can take a few punches. Yeah. Um, And then that got, okay, I've turned into a fairly competitive age grouper. So that fueled that fire and how, how fast can I do this sprint triathlon? How fast can I do this Olympic distance triathlon? And then a half Ironman, right? That was that was the next goal. It was, um, again, a different puzzle. How hard can I go on the bike and still get off and run a competitive half marathon? And you start to piece that together and you, you can't, map, if, you, if you win the bike portion, great. Too bad it's not a bike race. You got to get off and run 13 miles. Yeah. Uh, and of course, then it was the same exact story as my running. Well, can I do an Ironman? Ironman was pretty mythical back then. There weren't a lot of Ironman races around the world. So you trained, you entered, you got in the lottery, you got picked. Um, and it was just that challenge. And what I learned was the test of something like Ironman is the training. If you can do, if you'll commit to the training, the daily ins and outs, race day is a formality. Yeah. To keep the plan. It's when you go in unprepared that it's a, and it, it was hard. It was, it was a, it was a almost, you know, it was 10 hours and 47 minutes. It was all day, but yeah. it was, it, it, it was, it was glorious. Yeah. It was, uh, so it was just another test. It was just another, uh, can I do this? Yeah. When, how fast can I do it? How can I go further? Can I do that? Um, yeah, it was, that, that, that was fun. Now I, I, the swimming got to be just like, Oh, such a chore. You had to go yeah. to the gym yeah, yeah. the lane and, so that the love of that kind of way, you know, came and went. I still like it. I, I have plans to maybe get back and do so. I haven't done triathlons in several years. Go back and do some shorter distance. I have no desire to go back and do the training right. required for Ironman again. But yeah, the the time yeah. requirement to the the time requirement of training to get ready for a Ironman distance triathlon is incredible. 
Well, and there's the question. So you come to me and you say, hey, I don't think I want to do this ultra or this Ironman. My, my question isn't, do you have a bike or how fast can you run? It's okay. When's the race? Oh, it's December 1st. Okay. Well, what does July through December look like in your life? Do you have kids? Do they play sports? Do you have work trips? What's your spouse going to say about that? Yeah. Can you fit in 12 to 20 hours a week? Can you be gone every Saturday from 6 a.m. till lunchtime? Yeah. Unless your answer is, oh, hell yes, then this is not the time to do it. Right. right? But you know, both know people who say, well, if I'm doing it anyway, we know how that movie ends. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. 100%. I did, a, um, I did the uh, Navy SEAL Fitness Challenge which uh, was 600 meter run, max push-ups, max sit-ups, max pull-ups, mile and a half run. Um, sorry, 600 meter swim. And, uh, but I never, I never swam before. Um, and I remember that being just such a challenge to, because um, at the time I had just come out of college football, I was in pretty good shape. And the rest of it was easy. And I was, I had the, the, I had the cardiovascular ability to do it, but the, technique and the mental side of swimming i just didn't have and i remember <laughs> i think i told this on another podcast but i swam uh, i had a buddy who was like an all-state swimmer that was doing it with me he's like all right up to the swimming program i was like cool so like day one it was like we're gonna warm up with 100 meters and like i did i did the the, the and there's 25 meter uh, laps and i did like down back that was 50 down back i was like i'm done it's good. Great workout. High five. I was like, he was like, what do you mean? That's a warm up. I was like, I, I'm done, dude. That was all I have for today. <laughs> well, you, 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 you clearly are into the mindset. of the, So how has your mindset changed or matured? It's from collegiate athlete to power lifter to doing the obstacle course stuff to now what you do now. How, how has that changed? And, and, and where do you go now? So that path. And now you're in the middle of a workout. Where does your mind go when it gets hard? Um, so I think the biggest thing for me was, or it's kind of the pathway has been, I mean, I grew up being physical and doing physical things. I, I would dig taekwondo. I played every sport uh, imaginable, played hockey in Memphis, uh, soccer, football, baseball, uh, played um, um, football and, and baseball in, in uh, college, or sorry, in, in high school and then football in college. And so it was always kind of like, it just kind of was who I was and what I did. And I was very competitive and I always liked to like push myself. I like to see myself get better. I love the weight room. Um, I remember like very specifically, everyone made fun of me because I was a very skinny uh, in middle school because I was like six foot, probably 120 pounds. I just was a beanpole shot up and I didn't wind out at all. And so everyone's always like, oh, look how skinny you are, Dave. Look at how skinny you are. And like, I just remember that sitting with me and being like, I don't like being called skinny. And I started uh, lifting weights in seventh grade, you know, put on weight to put a hundred pounds on, uh, between sophomore year of high school and sophomore year of college. Um, and so like a lot of my identity and like who I was just became this, this kind of meathead, uh, who played sports and was always competitive. And then when, when I was done playing college football, I was like, man, like I've got to find something to do. I knew I wanted to be in the strength and conditioning, you know, field of fitness field. I was like, I need to find something to do for myself uh, to compete in. And that's where I went and did, you know, I did powerlifting. I did uh, uh, bodybuilding. I did some um, uh, Olympic weightlifting. I did strongman. I did uh, the endurance races. And kind of just powerlifting was kind of just the thing that stuck. And 
I have a very extreme personality in the sense that it's like, if I'm into something, I'm 100% into it and I want to be the best at it. Right. Um, look at the name of your gym. Yeah. No bullshit. So, <laughs> so I went all in in powerlifting and kind of explored it at different weight classes and geared and ungeared and, uh, and kind of did that. And uh, same thing with bodybuilding. And then, um, got to the point where my wife and I wanted to have kids and I had been on testosterone for like a long, long time. And I had to get off testosterone to start having kids. Um, and my body just could not recover from the training that I was doing. And I just yeah. started like, I just sort of, my knees were hurting, my back was hurting, my shoulders. And it's like, I just kind of like had this moment, like I said, where I was like, I'm just a fat and out of shape. And like, I want to feel like an athlete again. And so I kind of had to expose, I started doing CrossFit and just started exposing myself to like all these things that are, that I hadn't done in forever that I was bad at, you know? And so I started doing that and just done it ever since. And through that, I kind of like have done, like I said, some, some half marathons and, and uh, a lot of 10Ks, 5Ks and some um, um, obstacle courses. But, and I think, for me, like from, from the mindset standpoint of, of it is right, right now I got two kids, I got a third kid on the way. And so like where I'm at is I'm like, I want to be healthy, fit and push myself, but I have to, I have to be realistic about what I can do nowadays, which is, which was a hard shift. It was a very hard shift going from a competitive athlete who was training three hours a day and was known for what well, being, you know, good at whatever this thing is to kind of like, I just, I just want to be healthy and fit. Right. Well, it's not about you at, at this point. Right. Uh, so I just kind of got there. Like I got put, I got put comp competing on the back burner. Uh, and, uh, but I still train five days a week and that's kind of my thing. I just, um, I kind of had to shift my mindset into, in, in, into, I'm going to be the guy who just shows up five days a week and does, does pretty good. And it's pretty good things. But, uh, and, and, and I, I take my wins when I can get my wins and I take my progress at the speed that, that it happens and kind of have to learn to be okay with that. Uh, Cause I'm always want to get better and I do, I am getting better, but the, the, the competitor in me was like, well, you know, if I, if I just started doing like an, a couple extra hours here and there, I could start doing And I was just like, man, you don't have that time. You just don't have that time right now. So, um, yeah. and I think one of the biggest, when you're talking about mindset for me, uh, again, learning to, to somewhat disengage and let your body just do its thing has, has been a process of learning for me. And it's kind of the case when you're powerlifting as well. Like I said, it's just a very short time frame. It's 10 seconds. You're not in powerlifting. You have to, you have to ingrain that technique through thousands of thousands of reps. So you're not thinking about, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this. You just, just do it. And you do it to the mat and you're just zoned in doing it to the maximum. Right. Uh, and then in, in, when I started doing CrossFit and like, I was doing like my, my half marathon training, like I always knew it, like I, there would kind of be a moment where I just kind of like, Oh, I'm not even, I'm not even in my body right now. Like my, my legs are moving. I'm just thinking, I'm just listening to my podcast. And I kind of looked at it, Oh shit. I, I just ran three miles. You know, I didn't think about it. And that was like, Oh, that's that good training. Like I know I'm in that zone right now. And then, uh, what, 
in, in CrossFit and, and, and doing what we do now, same kind of thing. It's just breaking it down into those, those individual steps, focusing on the task at hand uh, and always having like a very narrow focus of whatever the task is or the next kind of reps and not letting yourself get into that mind of like, I'm tired or I'm hurting and just kind of like learning to disassociate, ignore that. Uh, one thing that helps me a lot is I just, I, I, I make it so that anytime I break, I don't, I never let myself break for, um, uh, break subjectively. I say, you get three breaths. You get to walk from here to there. And it's always some type of objective break. That's a purposeful break with intent so that my mind is focused on, uh, again, on that task and not like how I'm tired or, you know, you know, my lungs hurt or whatever. I try to say, I got three breaths. Okay. And you're back at it. And that's kind of how that's what, that's kind of how I've learned to adapt mentally, you know, and the kind of different training styles that I'm doing. So. I like that. I like that. You're, you're holding yourself accountable, even if it's just three breaths. Cause if you're not, you're going to go sit down in the box and you see that all the time. Right. And I, I love that. I love the, uh, you're in the moment you do it. Okay. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take three breaths. But that gets you right back. It refocuses you. Yes, it's doing the physiological stuff. Yeah. It's letting you get some more oxygen in your system for those five seconds. But mentally, you're right back on the bar or you're right back on whatever. I love that. It's the same thing in running. I guess it's the same thing in everything. You yeah. Keep moving, right? Just get to the next age station. Don't sit here. Don't don't die in the chair, right? Get up and get going. Yeah, so now, I have that zone of... Sometimes in those AMRAPs at the gym, my wife and I do it. It's one of those things we do together. I love it. And uh, sometimes she's pretty focused and pretty good at it. And she'll, afterwards, we'll be driving home. She goes, did you see so-and-so? It's like, no, I, <laughs> I am, I have on, I am in tunnel vision. I don't see anything else going on. I don't, I don't know what anybody else is doing until we're, until we're done. And I look yeah. around, but I love that zone. And I haven't had that since maybe, high school track where you showed up and the coach said, here's what we're doing. Here's how you do it. Ready? Go. Yeah. And I love now I, after a, a year in this CrossFit gym, I, I crave that, yeah. that, that I'm going to go in here. And as a, somebody in my mid fifties, I'm going to bury myself for 15 to 25 minutes. And it's going to be glorious when I'm done. And that that's the driving force is just, just do it. Just, and the same thing with running with Tom or get up, get your shoes on and get out the door. That's the hardest part of the run. That's yeah. This is the first I, step. Yeah, I love the, it all. The thing, the thing I, uh, one thing is I love about kind of doing the CrossFit training. I says is I get, I get exposed to things I'm not good at. And that's just the reality. Like I'm the weightlifting stuff. I'm six, two, I'm two twenty. I got a background in, in weight training. I'm going to do really good when it comes to deadlifts and squats, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, any of the gymnastics stuff running, I'm going to get my ass kicked. And so it is a very humbling in the sense that like, I, you can't allow yourself to, 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 to get too egotistical or think too highly of yourself because there's always someone in there that's going to be a little bit better at you than this, a little bit better, better than you than this. And so every day you're having to do things that you're, that are hard, that you're not good at, but then through that you grow and it's just like, and the confidence and the way that that kind of like uh, goes out into anything in life. In fact, I was talking to um, one of my clients who's another entrepreneur and he was like, he was like, 
uh, man, like one, it's like one of the things that, that I'm hearing you say, and he's like, I'm really recognizing myself is like, sometimes we get a little too overconfident because we've been, we've done all these things that like are hard and you've done in the past. You're like, I feel like I can do anything. It's just like, he's like, we gotta be a little bit better at saying no to th- th- things, <laughs> you know, but I, I think that daily humbling, like for me, it's, I'm the opposite. I, I go in the gym and if we're moving, there's cardio, there's bike, there's running great. As soon as I have to stop and pick something up, man, you can hear the brake screeching. <laughs> but I, I take that humble pie or that taming of the ego as a super positive thing for me on my journey of that's really good for me to go in there and realize I'm not the cat's meow. Yeah. I can run straight ahead for a long time. And, and that's my area of expertise, this very narrow silo, but it's, I could keep doing that, but I see where it got me now. Let me step out of that. Let me go over here and talk to this expert in his zone of expertise and become a neophyte again. I think that's a great part of that growth process and mentally and physically. I, I welcome it now as opposed to there were probably younger days where the ego and the testosterone and the caveman was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to look stupid. Yeah. Well, now, oh, good. I'm, uh, I'm going to look stupid, but it'll be worth it. The, the gut check I needed because I was an egotistical prick. You know, like, I mean, there's this reality. Like, I was really good at powerlifting and, yep. and I would, I would say and do a lot of things that protected, protected my ego. Like it's like saying things, God, running is stupid or that's, you know, that kind of stuff, you know? Um, and it, it was more just me be, being unwilling to like acknowledge that I wasn't, you know, amazing. And that's the kind of shit you do when you're in your twenties. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, now that I'm older, I, I appreciate, like, I appreciate getting, getting gut checked every day. Cause I'm like, I, I need to, I need to be brought back to reality from time to time. It's a good thing, right? 100%. It's a good. All right, Kevin, man, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think it's going to be um, uh, super good for a lot, for people to hear, because I know in our community, we have a lot of people who are interested in, you know, in, in exploring their fitness through running and, and definitely doing um, triathlons and things. And it was great to talk to you and kind of get your insight on all that. Oh, I love it. I love talking to like-minded individuals, especially about mindset and perseverance. And, uh, and the more I do this, the more I learn other people's areas of expertise, I realize we're, we're all, we're all preaching the same gospel, right? We're all teaching the same lessons. They just to a different audience. So I, I to me, it's fascinating to do this all day. And I, I really appreciate you having me on. I really enjoyed it. Awesome, man. Well, you have a good one. We appreciate you being on and MBS fitness radio out. Thank you for listening to NBS Fitness Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, follow us on social media, and check out our website at www.nbsfitness.net. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more NBS Fitness Radio.